0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We need
1: You, Jesus is real. Remember the soup Nazi in Seinfeld? No soup for you if you don't have your order ready boom, you can't get any soup. And a lot of us are that way with our love. I love you, but it's really all about me. So it's really, I don't love you, I love me. I love me by loving you. Think about that for a second. How many of us really just love me as long as that other person gives us what we want? So we don't really love them, we love
0: us. And they're just there as a vehicle for our own narcissism. How true is that? Many of us have a self-focused kind of love. Today, Pastor Daniel sure nails this one. We say we love others, but all our focus is on us. It's narcissistic love. Look at me loving you. Aren't I great for loving you? How do you stack up? Can you love someone else unconditionally? If you require something in return, then you may be loving narcissistically. Let's learn to love others in the same way that Jesus loves us. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 34 as he begins his message, The Dinah Incident.
1: Let's open up in our Bibles to Genesis 34. If you're new to opening up the Bible in general or at church, that's the very first book, so you just take the, if it's in the front, if you're reading an English Bible, of course, if you're reading the Hebrew Bible, you flip that thing, it's backwards, and you open up from the right, but in the English Bible, it's the first book on your left. So many of you who started this series with us, you've been journaling through this, and It was interesting. I went back and I looked at my journals from the very first time I ever started studying through the Bible. This was long before notes and iPad applications and Evernote and all these things. And I just had loose leaf paper, you know, back when we used to write, you know, with pens, big pens. You know, and it was awesome because I'd go to church and I'd bring a folder that have all these loose leaf papers in it and I'd just study through books. I was looking back to the very first time I'd studied the book of Genesis now almost 15 years ago. You know, and I was looking back and I was reading my notes on this chapter, chapter 34, and I was just so blown away by, as I studied it, before I even looked at these things, the way that God was speaking to me presently as I was studying this and looking at some of the things he was speaking to me 15 years ago, I'm like, wow, I still need to learn that. I still need to grow there. So but it's a powerful thing. So open up that journal or that iPad so you can take your notes. now. This is a new series, our third and final series in the book of Genesis. So we did the origin series, chapters 1 to 11. We did the patriarch series, chapters 12 to 33. And now we're doing the brothers series. As the focus of the book of Genesis shifts now from Jacob to now Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, the brothers who become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Genesis chapter 34 It's important from the beginning to realize one of the main rebuttals to the very common critique that the Bible, you know, like it's all myth, it was all made up, one of the most profound refutations of that critique of the Bible is when you realize that when you're writing a myth, you always make the main characters look really good. And Genesis chapter 34 is another one of those many examples where the men who become the pillars of the nation of Israel are absolutely, horribly acting. Completely ungodly. And if you're going to write a story, if you're going to write a tale, you don't make the people who end up being blessed in the end as horrible as what we're going to see today. And I think that's important to realize because the Bible tells us the truth about people. One of the things I love the most about our Lord Jesus is that Jesus said, if it looked like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. And I love that about Jesus because Jesus doesn't play around. He calls it like it is. It's real. It's honest. And here today in chapter 34 we are going to see some horrible stuff. Really, this is the story of two rapes. The rape of Jacob's daughter, Dinah, by Shechem. And then the rape of the Shechemites by two of the sons of Jacob. It's the story of two rapes. Now, I always say this, I'll keep saying this. In the Bible, narrative is not normative. What that means is, just like if you watch the evening news, when the evening news reports something, it doesn't mean that it condones it. It's just telling you what happened. And so as we're reading this, so often people think, well, if the Bible says it, then obviously God must condone it. No, no, no. Just because it's a narrative. The happenings is not normative. What that means is that just because it's reporting what happened does not mean that God is placing his stamp of approval on what happened. He's just telling you what happened. And we need to say that because sometimes you read these things and people get all up in arms about it. It's like, no, they're just telling us what happened. And all through the book of Genesis, as we travel through the entire Bible, if the Lord tarries, and so do we, it's gonna take us a while to get to the end. But as we travel through, we're gonna see over and over again that God loves sinners who are all of us, sinners make tons of mistakes who are all of us. And somehow, through it all, when we mess up, God still can do good things. And that's the Bible story from Genesis to Revelation. And so if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't really know about me and this Jesus thing because I am just, you know, I am God's gift to train wrecks. You find in the Bible yourself in good company. Now, I was studying some in, in the book of Acts and you know, as a pastor, most of us pastors, we struggle with uh, talking too much, long sermons. You know, then I was reading about the Apostle Paul, as he preached all night and a guy got so tired, he fell asleep, fell out the window and died. I thought to myself, I'm doing better than Paul. I, I haven't preached anybody into death yet, but I was encouraged just the same. I'm like, hey, I, I get this Paul guy. All right. So I'm going to preach all night. We'll see if someone dies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. one's like, hey, we know where the door is, Pastor Daniel. Come on. Genesis chapter 34, verse 1. It says this. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. We see here that Dinah... Who is the daughter of Leah, who was Jacob's first wife. Remember, we've seen this already where he would, Jacob was tricked by Laban to marry the, his older daughter, Leah. The only girl that we get recorded in the children of Jacob is Dinah by Leah. So this girl, she goes out to look at the young women of the land. So she goes out to see. They're settling down. What is this land all about? Now, it's fascinating because so many commentators want to make an application as if Dinah did something wrong. And I think that's kind of unfortunate. I mean, you can make the case, if you wanted to kind of just broadly apply it, that, you know, the women who follow after God shouldn't be going and checking out what the daughters of the world are doing. That's not necessarily a bad application. It's actually maybe a good application. But the reality here is that Dinah was just going out and seeing where she was living. That's what she was doing. There was no moral mistake on her part by going on out. But notice what happens. As she goes on out, Shechem, who's the son of Hamor the Hittite, the prince of the land. So this is the son of the king of the land. Notice it says, he saw her, he took her, he lay with her and violated her. So, The reality is is what happens here is that he sees her and then he sleeps with her. And some of your translations translate this properly. He raped her. He took her by force. Okay? But notice, when you get to verse 3, it says this. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. What you have here is you have a classic example of a divided man. The reality is, is, his soul was a strongly attracted to her. There was, he loved her, it says. But he didn't love her enough to honor her. And that is the universal problem with the way humans love apart from God. We have a divided love. I love them, but yet I don't love them enough to honor them the way God would have me. So there's a part of Shechem's heart, he really, really cares for her. We're going to see the lengths he's going to go to be able to marry her in a little bit. But at the same time, although he loves her, he doesn't love her really enough to honor her, to look out for her. His love is self-serving on a certain level. And that is why our belief in Jesus is so important. That is why, as somebody who has read personally almost every spiritual text I can get my hands on, I realized that following Jesus is the only way to truly love people in the way that God intended it, because through the finished work of Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, through our understanding of what the love of God looks like, which is Jesus laying down his life for those who have wronged him, that is the only way to truly love somebody. And that love that Shechem had, had he not been a divided man, although he was strongly attracted to her, and maybe he had temptations to have sexual relations with her outside of marriage, he would have said, you know, I do want that, but I want God's best for this girl more than I want what I want. And we live in a culture, we live in a culture that there's a lot of love talk. Good old John Lennon, all you need is love. All you need is love, love is all you need. And you know what's amazing is, is that he's right, except he doesn't define that love. And the Bible will not let us be cavalier about what love is. Sure, there are different types of love. There are different qualities of love. Bible teachers have been talking so much about eros, that one love that means physical love. And there is, that is a type of love, physical love. And then there's phileo. Philadelphia comes from it, the city of brotherly love. So it means that that kindred affection. And then there's that word agape, which speaks of a self-sacrificing love. And the reality is, is that this world has enough of not agape. Because yeah, John Lennon, all you need is love, but the Beatles couldn't stay together. You ever think about that? So yeah, all you need is love, but why didn't the Beatles stay together? Because there wasn't the self-sacrificing love. To be able to esteem others higher than ourselves. We need to each be asked the Holy Spirit to help us divide what is truly God's love and what is our own self-seeking love. And if we're really honest, in all of our hearts, in all of our relationships, we have the heart of Shechem. Where we really want to love somebody, but yet we really just want what we want from them. And that law of reciprocal affection that we talk about, that I will love you if you love me back. I will bless you if you bless me back. But right as you stop loving me, no love for you, like the soup Nazi. You Remember the soup Nazi in Seinfeld? No soup for you. If you don't have your order ready, boom, you can't get any soup. And a lot of us are that way with our love. I love you, but it's really all about me. So it's really, I don't love you, I love me. I love me by loving you. Think about that for a second. How many of us really just love me as long as that other person gives us what we want? So we don't really love them, we love us. And they're just there as a vehicle for our own narcissism. I believe that Shechem really loved Dinah, but he didn't love her enough to honor her because he didn't know what real love was. Now, of course, I have to make the application, you gals, you need to find men who will love you enough to honor you. And you guys... You need to ask God how to honor a woman. Because let's just be honest. We live in a culture where chivalry is so dead. True chivalry. Not just, I'll open up a door for you. Because most guys open up the door for a girl and then peek in after her. That's not chivalry. That's carnality. So Men, we need to ask God, how do we honor your daughters in a way that brings you glory? And we have to acknowledge our selfishness. We have to acknowledge that sometimes my love is totally faulty. Sometimes my love is like Shechem. Yeah, maybe I won't go as far as he did, but my heart is still the same. It's treacherous, it's selfish, it's self-serving. Shechem is the divided man. His soul is strongly attracted. He loves her. He speaks kindly to her, but yet he doesn't honor her. Instead, he rapes her. So after all this happens, what does Shechem do? He goes to his dad in verse 4. Get me this young woman as a wife. That is kind of an offensive thing to say in our culture. Some of you ladies are like, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? But You have to remember, this was not written in 21st century America. This was written thousands of years ago in a completely different culture. And in that culture, as we're going to see, dads made deals amongst them for the marriage of a daughter to a son. There was dowries involved. All sorts of things are involved. So it was a different culture. You women, the fact that you get to choose your spouse, you should say thank you very much. There's a lot of places in the world. It's still not like that. I've told you before the story when I did missionary work in India and I was talking with one of the pastors there, a great brother and sister, and they had an arranged marriage. They got married when they were 13. And we all say, oh, that's horrible. But the thing is, is in India, there's like a 95% rate of marriages that stay together. Divorce is very uncommon. Now, I'm not saying we should go back to arranged marriages, but the reality is, is one of the things they said, I asked them, like, listen, forgive my naivety. I, I mean, I grew up in America, you know, How do you make it work? And they're like, well, we learned how to love each other. And I thought to myself, what a simple yet profoundly deep answer. Because we get to choose who we marry, but yet we struggle to learn how to love one another. We get to make a decision. I want this person to be my spouse. And yet we struggle to learn how to love them. So Shechem goes to his father and says, I want to marry her. I want to make her my wife. Can you work this out? So what happens as we continue in verse five? And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock. This is verse five. In the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him, and the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. So, over the course of time, we find that Jacob hears about this. You can imagine it was a small community. Dinah came home, no doubt, things were said. We find that Jacob initially does not act at all. It says, and Jacob held his peace. Now, there's a lot of commentary on what we should think about Jacob's actions. We're gonna find in a lot of ways that Jacob has not led his family well by choosing not to do anything. And this is an important point application for all of us because when god has given you a place to of oversight of leadership when there is a leadership void something will fill it in when you have a responsibility if you do not honor that god-given responsibility something will fill that in and the reality is almost always whatever fills in that responsibility is not exactly what god wanted So as parents, we have responsibility. As spouses, we have responsibilities. On our jobs, we have responsibilities. We need to be good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. Jacob doesn't do anything. And Jacob's inaction sets in course a set of events that are really Jacob's responsibility. Because he doesn't do anything. He sits back. His sons come in from the field and his sons are grieved and angry. It's amazing. They say here, they say, this is a disgraceful thing in Israel, a thing which ought not to be done. See, they have, there's a righteous indignation to their response. And I pray that even though we live in a world where evil is so common, that we still, when we see something that is unjust, that is wrong, that we still respond to it that we still are able to call evil, evil, say, hey, that is disgraceful. We should not allow this. Now, as we're going to see, oftentimes what begins as righteous indignation then becomes treachery, revenge, and sin. Does that make sense? It's very easy to take a righteous indignation, someone acknowledging that this is terrible, what's happening, and then all of a sudden we take it, we make it selfish, and it becomes revenge and sin. Jacob doesn't say anything. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if, if I found out someone touched my daughter, I'd be, I'd be hot. I mean, I can't, I didn't want to think about it. I, I don't even want to go there. I'll blow a cork in front of y'all, you know? It's like, but Jacob's sons are angry. They're mad. So let's see what happens in verse eight. So we continue. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us. And give your daughters to us. And take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us. And the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it. And acquire possessions for yourselves in it. So now they come as they're beginning to negotiate now. And notice that the the areas of negotiation are first... We want Dinah to marry Shechem because he loves her. Second, verse 9, let's intermarry. Let's make marriages. And of course, we all know that this is a problem, isn't it? The Bible says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. The issue of intermarriage. Now, don't get me wrong. There are exceptions to the rule. But should we ever make our decisions based on the exceptions to the rule? That's just not logical, is it? It's not logical. If 99 times out of 100, if you put your hand in fire, you get burned, but one time out of 100, you put your hand in fire and the fire goes out and you're not burned, should we say, oh, I won't get burned? That's just illogical. It really is. And now I realize that missionary dating and missionary marriages, when someone's a solid believer and they choose to marry a non believer, there are exceptions to the rule, but We don't want to live our lives based on exceptions to the rule. Because I'll be honest, if I had a nickel for every time a godly gal married an ungodly guy and came back and cried to a pastor about it, there'd be a lot of nickels around. We need to make a good decision here. So for you single folks, not any available person will do. Not any available person will do. We want God's best. But the thing is, hey, we can marry your daughters, you can marry our daughters, and then in verse 10, dwell with us and let's make some money. That's really what he says. Dwell here, we're gonna buy and sell, we're gonna trade, we're all gonna do well. So, this is his, his approach. Now, in verse 11, Shechem speaks up. Look at what he says. He says, Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. Now, it's interesting, because Shechem wants grace. Let me find favor in your sight.
0: Jesus is... In his message today, Pastor Daniel taught us some great lessons from a tough patch of scripture. The story of Dinah's rape taught us to examine our motives behind our love. Self-centered love says, aren't I great for loving you? True love honors the other person. It's a selfless kind of love. What motivates your love? Let's rejoice because even though we mess up, God still does good things in us and through us. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize
1: that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVE to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400,
0: and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues to draw lessons from the family reaction to Dinah's rape. We'll hear that Jacob's sons played the religious card deceitfully. Pastor Daniel will teach us that we too tend to use Christian lingo as an excuse to not act Christ-like. We could promise someone prayer but never intend to pray for them. Let's be honest and not deceive our brothers and sisters.